are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. For love and money, our passion has its price. By Diana Wells. And this is from Green Prince, Autumn 2022 edition. Years ago, my mother was in the hospital, and my sister and I gathered beech leaves to soak in glycerin so they would keep through the winter. As long as either of us could remember, she had done this every autumn, sometimes mixing them with honesty or money plant. Both she and my sister have died, but I still have the blue vase she used for those dry bouquets. Honesty, or money plant, gets its name from its pearly white seed pods, which look a little like pale silver coins. Its Latin name is Lunaria, from Luna, Latin for moon, because the seed pods also look like a silvery moon in a dark, clear sky. To me, these two names reflect the two sides of gardening, the practical and the romantic. Many people will tell you that gardening is about love, and indeed it often is. We all like to believe that love has nothing to do with money. Gardening, thus, should have nothing to do with money. The more we love, though, the more we can spend on our passion as merchants have known from time immemorial. Even in our fables, the ragged beggar girl quite often turns out to be a wealthy princess, or the simple woodcutter, a prince. Although their love has been clearly demonstrated, of course, it's nice to know that he'll probably be giving her a diamond tiara, or at the very least paying off the mortgage on the enchanted castle. What about our gardens? We love them, but there aren't many of us who don't covet just a little more than we can afford. Even the very richest gardeners sometimes spend a little more than they can afford. In history, kings and princes strained the taxpayers to make palaces and gardens, which were symbols of their own wealth and power. Lord Zouche, a Tudor lord, spent so much on his garden, he couldn't afford to live in England and enjoy it, but he had to go abroad and live cheaply. The famous Miss Ellen Wilmot had gardens in Italy and France, as well as her English garden, Warley Place, which employed over 80 gardeners. She never married, but loved her gardens so extravagantly, she managed to spend all her immense fortune on them. She even had to watch Warley Place turn back into an untended wilderness before she died in 1934. Alfred de Rothschild didn't lose his fortune, but he certainly spent money on his gardens. One of his gardeners said that rich people used to show their wealth by the size of their bedding plant list. Rothschild's list was for 40000 418 bedding plants, putting him 
well above an earl, 30,000, but below a duke, 50,000. In America, Andrew Jackson Downing explained that the evidences of the growing wealth and prosperity of our citizens have become apparent from their interest in embellishing their properties. Of course, this kind of embellishment demanded taste, which he kindly proceeded to demonstrate to his readers. What about ordinary gardeners like ourselves? Most readers of Green Prince are, I suspect, hands-on gardeners who garden to grow, not to show. And as we know, plants don't have to be expensive to be beautiful. Purple foxgloves have a mystery to them, and they self-seed. Tawny daylilies glow like exotic tigers in our gardens, and by the roadside, too. But ah, how about those pale apricot foxgloves in the catalogs? Or the great creamy tetraploid daylilies? A rose is a rose is a rose. But the new ones smell divine and, they tell us, are resistant to diseases. Plantsmen know our weaknesses. It's their business, too. Autumn, they say, is the best time to plant and buy many perennials, trees, etc., etc., not to mention spring bulbs. If you don't plant them now, you won't have them next spring. And you can actually save money, because they are on sale. To get the job done quickly, your shovel had better be good, too. It saves time and money in the end. We all know that a good, read, expensive, shovel will last a lifetime. Although, we don't know exactly how long a lifetime lasts. Well, surely it's a good investment. Let's hope our heirs will like to use it. So, because of love, we buy the bulbs and the shovel anyway. After all, we love our gardens. Maybe we love ourselves a little bit too, but any psychologist will tell you that's healthy. So just add another pack of bulbs while you're about it. Even so, the money has to come from somewhere as does the rationale for spending it. Many gardeners, including myself, find that buying things for the garden is much easier if we're not specifically buying things for the garden. That must be the brilliant marketing strategy behind the huge stores that include plants and shovels with the other necessities of life. Indeed, they are putting many small nurseries out of business. If, for instance, my husband needs a part to fix the toilet, he knows I'll cheerfully go to pick it up for him. Too cheerfully. Now he goes to the store, gets the part, and comes home. If I go, well, what difference does it make if I add a few bulbs on sale to the basket? He goes to the supermarket and can walk right past the plants on display with a gallon of milk in his basket, not even noticing that these plants are cheaper than at the local nursery. 
Of course, though, we don't want to desert the nursery. That wouldn't be right. So we have to make shopping trips there as well. It's wonderful how we gardeners can rationalize. Needless to say, my husband isn't a gardener, but he's nice enough not to make many remarks when he helps unload the groceries. He's my prince, too, just as my garden is my garden. And we gardeners know that even if we don't have everything we want, there's always the garden. Even when winter comes and we can't enjoy our gardens, most of us can find something to put in a vase to cheer us through the cold months. If you do choose honesty or beech leaves, would you put them in a blue vase to remind you of my mother? For she, like you and I, loved her garden. Harvest Party by Penn Parmenter And this is from Colorado Gardener, Harvest 2022 edition. I miss parties. Remember those good old-fashioned gatherings where people got together, brought food, told stories, stayed up too late, and kept munching every hour or so? This fall, I hope to revive our big old harvest party. We always ask people to bring food from their gardens and tell us about their garden season. With each climatic year being so different in Colorado, the stories always varied. But we learned that wins and losses seem to happen regionally. People compared notes to discover that no one could grow a bean that year. We'd howl with laughter and hug each other, feeling much better knowing it wasn't happening just to us. Building community this way rewarded us with new friends, new gardening ideas, and mouth-watering deliciousness. One of the best parts of a harvest party is learning new ways to prepare food. We try each other's culinary delights and share recipes. Sometimes we'd hear, It never occurred to me to serve it this way. We always have the grill going, and one year we stuffed trout with garlic and butter wrapped in sorrel leaves. The flavor infusion was outstanding. As hunters, wild meat over the open fire has been a must for us. We cut chunks of elk or venison, sometimes marinating it in tamarind, or nothing at all. If you allow wild meat to thaw in the fridge for two to five days, it tenderizes beautifully. Being a blacksmith, Cord has made us the best roasting forks ever, with extra long tines and handles. We bring those chunks of meat fireside, and each person works their own fork. We might throw the salt shaker at it as it finishes, But if we used tamari, no need. This happens fast. We want a crispy outside and a tender inside. Cord usually tests one first. His blacksmith fingers feel no pain. 
and starts making those primal noises uttered at campfires since humans started cooking meat. It comes off the forks onto a board, and everyone tears into it. Humans have been feasting by campfires together for such a long time, it gets you in touch with your DNA. For our veggie friends, we marinate and fire roast vegetables the same way. Our son, Bo, likes to smoke meat, so we always fill the top shelf with loads of vegetables. The taste is outrageous. One mixture we love includes peppers of all kinds, mushrooms, onion, garlic, eggplant, summer squash, fennel, carrots, and radishes, all chunked into uniform pieces so they cook evenly. You could include cut-up corn on the cob, potatoes, sweet potatoes, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, or beets. The list goes on. We regard this as a once-in-a-while treat in order to limit food prep that results in consuming carcinogens. We have fewer campfires these days due to drought and wildfires, but when the wind isn't blowing and it has rained recently... We enjoy a fire under the stars, with water and shovel standing by to put the fire out if the wind kicks up. We always serve giant bowls of washed and dried, wild and cultivated greens, too, to go on top of or under the cooked food. No dressing, no other veg, just buck-naked, huge handfuls of greens to stuff into our mouths. Late summer salads of every kind also grace the feast, plus everything kale, from kale chips to kale soup, a fall favorite. For those who camped overnight, we made ridiculous breakfasts with night-before leftovers. One family favorite is squash eggs, two ways. Our standard way to stretch eggs is to cut up fresh summer squash and sear it in a hot cast iron pan. It wants color on it, but also to be left with a nice bite. In go the eggs to lightly scramble. Add some hot sauce and toast and down the pie hole it goes. I have fed this dish to herds of men. Another delicious way uses winter squash. We slice a small winter squash into half moons and roast them with a little olive oil on a sheet pan. The next morning, I oil a cast iron pan, fill it with slices of cooked winter squash, sear the first side, flip them over, and crack an egg into each half moon circle. One more flip gives a perfect over-easy egg to break into the delectable orange flesh of the winter squash. Absolutely divine. You know those ridiculous clubs of large zucchini? I cut them open long ways, scoop out the seeds and some of the flesh, stuff them with loads of veggies, meat, or leftovers, top with parmesan, and bake. We serve it up with a knife to cut whatever size chunk you want, then freeze what's left over. Try stuffing some nasturtium leaves with goat cheese and a bit of honey. And if you want to go insane, a chunk of bacon. Close it with a toothpick and pass them around. 
Dress the bowl with pickled nasturtium seeds and a few of the flowers. Crack out the tomato, apple, onion chutney, and spoon it over soft cheese to serve with hearty crackers. Everything fermented and pickled helps with digestion and induces belly rubs. I haven't even listed fall desserts. Crumbles, pies, tomato sorbet, frozen grapes, peach leather dried in the open air, or apple cake. I'm hungry now. Sweet gatherings with loved ones, colleagues, farmers, gardeners, even that neighbor you haven't met yet, can surprise you with all that love of gardening and food. See you at the fire. I've got that drip. How automatic irrigation put the style back in my life. By John Hershey. And this is from Colorado Gardener, Harvest 2022 edition. Beets are among my favorite vegetables to grow, despite the fact that they once caused me to have an unnecessary colonoscopy. Like corn and asparagus, beets leave a distinctive forensic trail. But if you haven't had them for a while and forget about this, and then make a big pot of borscht from the harvest, the evidence can be quite alarming. So, I got my periodic screening a few years early. My favorite part of the colonoscopy is the souvenir photo they give you afterward, like the ones you get after other scary and unpleasant activities like riding a roller coaster. I briefly posted this image as my social media profile picture until my wife wisely advised me to take it down. I lost a few friends that day, but I got some likes, too. Presumably from people who thought the photo more accurately represented my personality. The procedure itself wasn't much fun, but the result was fascinating. A rare glimpse into the inner workings of the human body, which I ride around in all day, but don't know that much about how it works. In many aspects of life, we have a superficial understanding, but miss the important stuff happening below. The surface of the ocean is nice, but when you dive with a snorkel, an amazing world of colorful fish and coral is revealed. It's the same in the garden, where the most interesting things in the richest colors, like the beets and carrots, are hiding underneath. Plunging your hands into the earth to plant seeds or pull weeds is a powerful sensory experience. The feel of the cool soil, the fresh aroma of hummus. Incredible things are happening. Earthworms are building topsoil for us. Mycelium forms a network through which plants communicate and share resources. Bindweed roots are advancing toward the Earth's core. Connecting with the Earth in this direct way is an atavistic pleasure, except that as soon as both my hands are really dirty, I immediately get an intense itch on my face, an over 
overpowering urge to scratch. This seems to happen only when I'm gardening, or carrying something heavy with both hands, or at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were warned not to touch our faces under any circumstances. Another thing we perceive superficially is the food system. On the surface, we see inexpensive and plentiful food in the supermarket. For me, and many other gardeners, this is one reason we grow some of our food. And the more we can grow, the individual efforts of many gardeners could ultimately make a difference. Gardeners are obsessive anyway, so we expand our plots to fill all available space. But a bigger garden takes more time to tend unless the chores can be made more efficient. So this year, I installed drip irrigation. I've always been a hand waterer. I enjoy being in the garden. And this way you can spend quality time with your plants, spot any problems, and be an introvert. But as my garden grew, the time required to soak it by hand began to crowd out other activities like family time and gainful employment. Drip irrigation was intimidating at first. It seemed like you had to design a complex plumbing system with myriad connectors and emitters in a bewildering matrix of tubes. But as with vaccines, sourdough, and everything else nowadays, watching a few YouTube videos made me an expert. Like a true Westerner, I was soon brimming with confidence that I could move water wherever I needed it. And my reclamation project was completed just in time for my vacation. Not that it was easy. Laying out the tubing, I had to deal with more troublesome kinks than Ray Davies. But now that the chore is automated, I'm amazed how much time I have for other garden tasks and leisure. I wish I had all those hours back that I spent watering over the years. I could have improved myself by doing the things Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day did with his extra time. Like learn how to play the piano and how to be nice to people. Instead, I stood in the yard holding a nozzle. But I mustn't dwell in the past. Being replaced by a robot frees me up to grow more food and still have time for a new laid-back lifestyle. I had no idea so much of gardening could mean chilling in a hammock with a cold beverage. This spring... A doe raised her two fawns in our backyard. It was wonderful to watch the cute babies resting, playing, and nursing. To provide nutrition for them, the mama deer nibbled down my whole big bed of lettuce. The old me, anxiously patrolling with the hose, might have been upset. But in a large, self-watering garden, there's enough to share. She needed it more than I did. And now that the deer family has moved on, the consistently drip-watered lettuce has regrown to provide plenty of salads for us. I just need to coax myself out of the hammock and pick some. First, let me take a selfie 
That will be a profile picture that even better reflects my true nature. Thank you for joining us for Colorado Gardener. My name is Christy McGowan. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.